Hello, everyone. This is Casey. I am starting the show today with some exciting news. Um, I was nominated to be the Grand Marshal of the Sacramento Pride Parade. When I got the call, the very first thing I thought was, oh my god, what will I wear? <laughs> anyway, the way that you can help me out is there's a voting process. So there are quite a few nominees, and so every vote counts. And so I'm inviting you, asking you to please vote for me. There will be a link in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 141. I've been nominated because I am working with LGBT teenagers in this community who have no other real safe place. There's no Pride Center up in Placer County. And so uh, creating a safe space for young people to be all of who they are and be affirmed in that and by that has been really tremendous work. And so a parent thought it was so tremendous that they nominated me. And so I am humbly asking for your vote. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Raj. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week is part two of our untitled series or loosely based series or loosely held together narrative, whatever we want to call it, on a Beloved Community. Last week, we talked about the self. This week, we're going to be talking about our given community, so our family, the, the, the things that we did not choose in life, the relationships we did not necessarily choose, and how to maneuver through those. And for our segment, we're bringing back one of our old ones, uh, but new to our new hosts, and it is called Title Me This, which is one of my favorites. So, uh, Alan, get us started. What are, what are we talking about? What is Obviously, I think we all understand what a, a family is. But uh, what what does family systems bring us into the the fold? Yeah, when when we all talked about this series, I think this is one that particularly got me excited because Casey got me into this little national group thing where they send you and teach you all sorts of stuff. And what I, we had studied was family systems for the first time in my life, and I found it super enlightening. To think about my family in terms of a system that works together and not just a collection of individuals acting on one another. And uh, so when when we start the conversation, I mean, it could go all kinds of ways. I think for me, just the one thing that, that I'm still trying to figure out is how do I, as a person, balance the pressures of being together with other people and being separate? Like that's, that's the conundrum of being in families, finding out who you are as an individual, but still staying in touch. So there's a lot more that can be said about that. And I'm looking at all these people who have had careers of working with people and families and kids. And, um, I'm sure you have a lot to share, but that shows up in a lot of different ways. Right. Right. And I do want to note before we get into actually the next two episodes, this conversation and then conversation about our chosen community is that we're talking about 
relatively healthy relationships. We're not talking about relationships on these episodes specifically centered around abuse where you're not supposed to be connected. Like we're talking about when you are in the midst of your family, when you are still engaging and having relationship with. And I think that's an important thing for us to note in the beginning because uh, – and for some of us, that might be a fine line, right? Like – where does it spill into that place where we, we create boundaries? But uh, I think overall – That's actually a good point. I mean I, I sat in a room with 12 other ministers and we had all read two books on this family systems theory, which is different than like Freudian psychology. This com- this has been around for a really long time. It's a school of thought that bases – that all kinds of counseling practices have been based off of. So we studied it. We were in class eight hours a day for a week and that's the point that came up. We're like, well, what about people who are going through abusive situations? Like how is – because the goal of family systems is to to take responsibility for yourself, to stay connected with other people. But in cases of abuse, like all the pastors were like, what about that? And there was kind of a a weird conversation about that. So I think it's important point to bring up. I think it is. And I think it's definitely – something that needs to be addressed, but I just want to preface that because someone may be listening right now as well. I, you shouldn't feel guilty if we talk about trying to reconcile and maybe work on our relationship with our family. If your relationship with your family is irreconcilable, which I, I, at least I believe, I don't want to speak for everyone else. I believe is possible and is necessary in some kids situations, especially when abuse is present. So I just think it's an important thing to start with. And I, I also think that um, there's always the option to cut off like that. That's an option to distance oneself from the system and in order to be able to um, emotionally develop in healthy ways. So that's always a possibility is um, cutting off from the system if that's needed. Right. The, the thing is about that. It is a fine line because what, what I learned in looking at my own family, what they made us do is, bring copies of i think so casey went through this right you had a, I did i definitely did he talked about this to me t- <laughs> told me what to expect it was it was pretty amazing but i still wasn't prepared for it you're supposed to bring a copy of your family like three generations back or more and just you know all the dirty laundry of your family on this piece of paper and it, it stays confidential but you talk with people you trust about all of that stuff and uh what i learned was Getting too close to someone else, like fusing with them, trying to hold them so close that they lose their individuality or you lose your own is like a response to anxiety and cutting off is a response to anxiety too. Some people run away from their family and they're like, wow, I'm really self-actualized and individuated. And it's like, well, no, that's actually an anxious response. Like you're responding to the pain that your family has gone through or tried to like the anxiety that they've pushed on you. And so at least in family systems theory with Murray Bowen, the idea is that you maintain contact for your own health, like not necessarily for anyone else, but you maintain some form of contact and break the cycle of like cutoffs and stuff, which, which I found to be pretty helpful in my relationships. If not like really difficult, which one are you guys? Are you the runner or are you the fuser? I'm just curious. Guess, Alan. Which one do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I think you're a runner. Yes? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I will. Okay. I'm a runner. I'm a runner. But that's, you Should know. Should I not ask that? That's like an extremely intimate question. I don't know. I think it depends. 
It depends on the relationship and on the intensity of the relationship. That's true. The other thing that's really interesting about family systems is, is like the emotional inheritance, you know, Mm. through generations that we, uh, that we kind of like without sometimes being aware of it at all. In fact, most of the time those in the system aren't really aware of what's going on. It takes somebody stepping outside of the system to say, Oh, wow, this is what's happening. I remember learning about this and being able to identify as a firstborn child, and I married a firstborn child, and then we had our firstborn child. So all of the emotional anxiety that's like bound up in being firstborn then gets transferred to our firstborn kid. And then, you know, all of the, it's it's just really interesting to watch how all of these dynamics work and then how we, how that anxiety is either transferred or managed based on either, sometimes it's through conflict too. Sometimes it's not through running away, but it's through actually facing the person and like fighting, which is probably more what I am. (laughs) I think if there's anything to take away from the family systems theory, it's how you navigate it, basically. What are you going to do in the face of a family that perpetuates a system? Because we all have certain family behaviors, patterns. Basically, we all respond to these things in a specific way. And um, it's learning how to, to separate yourself from whatever anxiety they're trying to push onto you and maintain your whole self. And if you can do that, this is helpful in navigating your your faith also. If you have been fused with a denomination or a faith tradition for so long, and they have told you how to be and how to live, and you are anxious about stepping out of that tradition or coming out in any way, all of that can can create anxiety. But you have to do what's healthy and whole for yourself and tell the truth of your own life. And if you can begin to get clear about about that, and you can begin to see the system as it is, the healthier you'll become. I love that you said that. I think any work that we do in our family translates outside of our family. and Yeah, everywhere. That's translates right. to our relationship with our church, with our work. The, the, trick, the trick in all of this is, if you can define who you are and still stay in contact with your family, like your brothers and sisters, your mom, your dad, maybe your parents, brothers and sisters, if you can at least maintain some sort of contact with them and still be a separate person who knows what you do and don't want, there's going to be like a response, right? They call it sabotage. This, I mean, I'm sure we've all experienced this. You, you define yourself and the family system freaks out because it's used to you playing a certain role. And now that you're no longer playing that role, the anxiety just is like free flowing. It's not bound up anymore. And so people like, like say I'm a peacemaker and I decide, no, I I think I'm just going to chill. I'm going to be myself. (laughs) You know, I'm going to be a well-defined person and not take care of everything. The, The family doesn't know how to take care of the anxiety. And so they will actually, and it happens all the time and you should expect it. They'll work to get you back to the position that you were in because family depends on homeostasis and stability. So the trick is outlasting people. If you can define yourself, maybe you're the pastor of a church or the oldest in a family system, and you define, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do, and people respond out of that anxiety, if you can just outlast them, they'll usually rise to where you're at. They will They will see where you're at if you can still remind, like, hey, I'm going to still stay in contact with you. I'm not going anywhere, but this is who I am. Like, they'll, they'll eventually rise to your level 
of differentiation. But a lot of us like don't want to go through the hard process of doing that, of outlasting their anxiety. I don't know if that's all too heady. Like if this conversation topic is like you need a whiteboard and drawing it out and stuff, but there's some basic concepts in family systems that really help. Like uh, there's triangles, right? Where someone tries to bring you into all of their, their anxiety. Like I have a problem with Raj, so I'm going to talk to Bonnie about it. And, you know, Raj is, is giving me a hard time. And so I'm like roping her in to what really I should be dealing with with Raj. And uh, triangles happen naturally, and it's nothing that nothing that you can actually get away from. But at least being able to step back, like someone has already said, and see how they operate helps us interact in a more healthy way with those triangles and stuff. Yeah, and I I wonder how much of this is related to culture and cultural context. You know, in in more Eastern cultures, certainly in Indian culture. Uh, the family is everything. I mean, the individual is like, what's that? <laughs> you know, your your whole existence is to serve the family unit, whether and, – and it kind of goes in concentric circles. There's the nuclear family. Then there's aunts, uncles, and cousins who are a pretty close outer, you know, next circle. And then you've got people beyond that. But it's all about fitting in and serving that that family system, not about – finding your own identity, your own self apart from that system. So there's some real interesting dynamics, particularly, you know, as as a first generation, actually as an immigrant myself and a lot of my cousins navigating a world that's rabidly individualistic and find yourself uh, and, and the family saying, you know, we want to remain intact. We want to keep our identity um, and we want you to associate with others. And, and I mean, the ideal is to be romantically involved with other Indians and, and not to, to be distinct and separate in ways that run in conflict. So that, that, that was an interesting paradigm. And I don't, I don't know that I'm not putting valuations on one or the other, but there's, there's some real difference there. And I don't know in your experience, I haven't studied family systems like, like you have, um, Bonnie and Alan and Casey. But did you encounter anything around different cultural contexts? I think that um, it's pretty Western. I would say it's based on this idea that the self is meant to differentiate and the developmental process leads towards that. So the goal is to become an emotionally autonomous individual who can still be in relationship within a system. At least that's the way I understand it. So I think I know because I remember, um, I can't remember who I was talking to when I was just beginning to learn about this. I think it was my grandma um, on my dad's side and I such a huge family. And I was just talking about like the ways aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody's connected. And I was sharing with her a little bit about what I'm learning and how, you know, you want to remain emotionally autonomous. And, and, and my grandma was just like, Why? Like, I love the emotional connection that that's what I want to always, that's how I want to live. It was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was developed. You're right. It's a Western thing. It was developed by a white guy in the 1920s or whatever. So it's almost impossible to get away from that. But I think some of the concepts are helpful cross-culturally. I mean, when you said your goal as an Indian person is to fit into your family and serve it well. I think it's worth really taking a good look at what what does that even look like? 
your role in your system and your family, what is helpful and what isn't? Because sometimes what we assume is helpful is helpful. It totally is not. You're you're right. That that notion, like what was that? Uh, the phrase emotional independence, autonomy, uh, autonomy, uh, emotional autonomy is like I, I'm going to drop that at my next family gathering <laughs> and, and, and see how that plays. But um, it, but it, it is true. I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction that people want to suck you back into. Um, there's a lot of triangulation. Um, and this isn't unique to, to Indian families. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting to to have journeyed, uh, having to you know moving away across a continent uh, in my early adulthood and developing some some of myself individually, and then returning to larger family gatherings and how you know everybody's relating to me from twenty years ago, and it's like well. And, and and there's 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 genuine anger and frustration when I don't want to be that character anymore, and and there there's a lot of work that goes into it, uh, in, into pulling one another back. So you know we're 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 all guilty of it. It's not just me. And understanding it is the key to not to not letting that cause you like suffering. Like knowing your family is going to do that is just natural. Not judging them for it, just recognizing that, yeah, this is going to happen, helps you to actually further understand your your role. Um, I, I do want to talk about the emotionally helpful thing, though, because you, you, you said, what what is it like to help your family, to be connected to your family? And you know how a little kid like learns to walk? They have to stumble a lot, right? They'll eventually learn how to walk, but they have to learn to use their own muscles, stand up, eventually eventually grow. Sometimes emotionally, we don't let other people grow because we're, quote unquote, helping them. We're taking all of their anxiety from them and fixing them. At least this is my experience. Rather than just being like seeing them as a human being, being connected connected to them and letting them actually develop those muscles to deal with that anxiety. So what we think think may be helpful might not be. Yeah. I mean, I know in my own family, it took my grandma stepping away from my uncle who has uh, meth addiction and saying, I no longer am going to support you. And that was a really huge thing for her to step out and say, he's yours, God, not mine. And I have to step away from this. And he has come a long way. I mean, is takes care of his kids now, has his own place. Um, but it took a significant portion of his life I mean, that's just one example of sometimes we take on the anxiety of others thinking that we're doing the right thing by helping them um, and we're not giving them the ability to grow the muscles and stand on their own to show them that they are capable. We hear these stories all the time. I mean, there's sanctuary church buildings full of people who get together, you know, for CODA or whatever. There are communities where people, family and friends gather together to get support so that they can learn that the best support they can offer another is to step back and allow others to to struggle, to find their balance, to, to find their, their footing. This idea that staying in relationship can be hard, especially if you sense any sort of rejection. Or, you know, Raj, you were saying there, you don't want to be that character anymore. And so how do you maintain a relationship with people who can only see you through that lens? And I think it is by just showing up, by showing up in the ways that are safe for you. So one of the ways that I've done is I call, 
I just call my grandparents, check in, and allow them to determine how long the conversation is going to be, whether that be 10 minutes or five. But I've made the effort to be present. And and so it's it you just have to be able to navigate for yourself what A is safe for you um, and B, what you're willing to tolerate. That's a really good point. It should be like restated. Figure out what's safe because it might be spending an hour with your family or one day. But the longer sometimes five you re- minutes. Yeah. The longer sometimes you reenter those, the pressures to kind of go back to the way you've done things right. get really heavy and intense. And honestly, taking care of people's anxiety for them by playing your role leads to resentment over the long run. People res- will resent you for that, that you've never allowed them to really grow and build some of those muscles for themselves. And although it's counterintuitive, refusing to take on someone else's anxiety, but still being there to stay connected with them, people love that. I don't know about any of you, but if you've gone through conflict and you've like, you've still stayed your ground in conflict, you're like, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. But you still have that open hand towards someone and being like, I still want to be in a relationship with you. If you just keep doing that over and over and over, people respect that. Like it, it communicates love and they respond like it's happened in other churches. So this is several churches ago. I worked in a church when we went through conflict with family and youth and stuff and being able to kind of not get sucked into some of the anxiety of it, but just kind of be like, hey, this is what we're this is what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. People in the long run really respected that. And like our relationship benefited like crazy from it. Can can you all say more about triangulation or the triangles? And, you know, because I've, I've heard you say, well, there's triangles connected to triangles, connected to triangles. I'm like, <laughs> that's that sounds like really cool geometry and a little stress inducing from sophomore year of high school. But um, like, wh- like what what does that mean? What does that what do those triangles upon triangles mean? Well, and and please jump in. Um Alan and Casey, but the way I understand it is Bowen, the the founder of um, Family Systems, had this idea that a one-on-one relationship is too, there's too, it's too intense. People, it's really hard to like just face off an individual. And so in order to, another individual one-on-one, so in order to ease the anxiety or the tension between that relationship, you always bring in another person. It can be metaphorically or it can be an issue that's brought in. And so there's always like two on the inside and one on the outside is, is sort of how it's set up. So if, if like, like if you and I are having a conflict and I need somebody to agree with me, I could go to one of my kids. I could go to my sister. I could go to my mom and say, guess what? You know, we're having this conflict. Don't you think that I'm right? And then if the person says, well, yeah, of course you're right then we are the insiders and then you would become the outsider. And and, and it, these triangles just like are always kind of, they're, they're always shifting. It's the basic building block of relationships, at least the way I understand it. So, so the one-on-one is too intense and because it's too intense, we should triangulate? No. Just happens. <laughs> it just so happens. for Bowen, the goal was to have a one-on-one relationship with your whole family. So like that's what I'm that's doing right. right now. I'm trying to have a one-on-one relationship with my brother to not mediate through my mom, you know, and like a one-on-one relationship with my other brother. And 
maybe that's like phone calls or text messages or somehow just connecting outside of everything else. Um, so that's the goal. But triangles are natural and they're normal. And it's not like we want to just know, tr- like, I'm going to live my life to where I'm going to be in denial that triangles triangles exist. It's just refusing to get caught up in the anxiety process, which unfortunately, triangles rarely decrease anxiety in a family. Like, you know, if, if I have a conflict with my brother and I go to my mom about it and I'm like, look how awful this is. And they agree with me. The anxiety actually just goes up because they're reflecting it back at me. And so more and more, I'm having a problem with someone else rather than fixing it, if that makes sense. So getting out of triangles is important, but difficult. Like as a pastor, um, one thing that happens a lot, <laughs> you'll you'll hear, I'm just thinking in my mind, like how much I want to share. Um, but this happens in every ministry I've ever been in. And I'm sure you guys have had it too. The last person that here was that was here is terrible. Have you ever heard that before? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The last the last minister that was here was the worst. Or maybe it's a relationship. My my last girlfriend was so terrible. Oh my god, she was the worst. And like, what you're looking for is agreement, and you're creating a triangle to kind of solve your anxiety by using someone else. And it's like so, somebody you're not even in a relationship with anymore. Totally. And so one of the goals is to remove yourself from triangles, which can be really tricky because people sometimes resent that. So humor often undercuts a lot of that. Like for me, and I've done this literally before, someone's like, oh, the last pastor was the worst person in the world. And I just responded with, yeah, pastors are pretty crappy people. (laughs) Like being a pastor, it was kind of funny, but it was a way of being able to step outside of someone trying to rope me in to the anxiety process. And and if you're in a relationship with somebody long enough, you can even have your former self triangulated into the relationship. Interesting. Like, you didn't yeah. used to be like that, and now all of a sudden, oh, yeah. you're doing it this way. So so yeah. so I Jeff, you know, um, earlier uh, Alan asked the question about are you a are you a runner or a fuser fuser, and you had sort of said I'm a runner. And I, I kind of want to know um, uh, why that's your first instinct. Are we putting them on the spot? <laughs> no, because I'm going to go somewhere. Don't worry. I'm going to go somewhere. There, with there's this. a lot of shifting over there. Um, I have a problem with this idea, like Alan, with what you were talking about, and in Casey, you sort of alluded to, is this idea, if you do this, then they'll respect you. If you do this, then the person that's having a problem will eventually work their shit out. You just need to give them space. And I don't believe that. I don't know if that's a hold off from evangelicalism or fundamentalism, or if it's just a human thing where we're presented. If you individually do the right thing, then the whole world will come into place and everything will be fine. And I don't believe that. Uh, Sometimes those relationships aren't going to work out. Sometimes that person is not going to rise to that level. Uh, sometimes the person who's struggling with addiction or struggling with a personal problem, if you give them space to deal with it, they're going to be consumed by it. Um, so, I mean, this is all fine and nice and, 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 and pretty and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, my family reality is not like that. Things aren't going to change no matter how much I change. So when I say I'm a runner, 
uh, what I mean is that I know how much change is going to happen. And part of that, you know, self-actualization process is for me separation. So, um, so last week, uh, Jeff, we talked about the self. Yes. Um, and we talked about the stories that we tell ourselves, right? I think one of the biggest joys of growing and changing is to know that the story of our of ourself can change, right? That we have the potential to change our narrative. It doesn't fix the past, but we can we can move in a different way into the future. Agreed. But I think sometimes when we when we accept that, then we also assume that as our narrative changes, the overall narrative will change. Or at least we use rhetoric that insinuates that sometimes you know what i mean i i am very aware that that there are going to be people um in our families who won't change whose opinions will never change um especially as a gay man (laughs) um there are family members whose minds haven't changed and who probably will never change what what i have the way that i have used this theory is to say i have done what i can do I have I have invited you to Easter and you have not come. I have made those phone calls and you have not answered. And then I am left with feeling confident that I've done everything I can do. I I agree with you. I don't I think there are some people that until they're well and and this is the redemptive thing. I had a mentor who used to say this. They are this way until they're not. The people will behave in whatever way they will behave until they until they choose not to. And it's not our, but, but the key there is not to take on their anxiety and not to own any of their shit, right? It's not ours to own. And so, um, if stepping away is safe for you and what you need to do, that's fine. As long as you're also able to recognize, um, that you can't own any of their anxiety and you can't own any of that. Their story is yours. No, I fully, you I fully, to. I fully recognize that. And when I said uh, earlier, I'm a runner. This isn't like, me being pastored to you, by the way. This is me because there are people who are listening, right? Who, who running, uh, has been the safe thing to do. Right. Um, and so I want us to just, I mean, I, I've been there also. We all have, I'm sure. There are people that are, it's just easier to avoid. But I know that in the past, I've carried guilt for that relationship. Um, like if I could have done more or if I could have blah, blah, blah. Um, because that also carries over from evangelicalism. Try harder and things will work out. Well, sometimes things don't work out. Um, that's, that's something I want to clarify for sure. When I said that people will rise to your level of differentiation, usually, I think I think I said usually because it's not something that you're even shooting for in a family system situation. All you're doing is taking responsibility for yourself, like at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Right. And that's that at, that at, was the reason I said something. When I first of all, when I said I'm a runner, it was a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, right. And then because the other- you're not because honestly, you still stay in contact with with people. I'm your family. So this is kind of weird to talk about <laughs> like this. But 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 you do. You're, you right. don't just cut people off. You, right. And I was just more concerned about being clear about our rhetoric when we're talking about this right. in the sense that it's easy for us to want to provide hope. And I think that's good. I think we should provide hope in the way that we talk about these situations, which are immensely complicated, right? Like all of us are, I can tell, I can see, 
or I can even hear it in the way that we're talking. We're trying to be choosy with our words. Who's going to hear this? How do I maneuver through this decades of family complications and still try to glean some sort of truth from my own experience? So I get that. Um, and I think that we should have hope. And I think that we should have hope that as we change that certain things around us hopefully will come along. But I don't want to uh, I don't want us to leave this conversation with people feeling like, and and this is from my personal experience, growing up in church or just just in general is when people we highlight in in fundamental circles the testimony right, and they're always it was really bad, and then here's where it goes really good and everything changes and it's all for God and all that kind of stuff. And as I was growing up, one of the most difficult things that I had to deal with was oh. There must be addressing what Casey was says, which I think is right on. But I think I think more people that maybe are listening need to hear this is that that's that's not God. <laughs> like God isn't like forsaking you and lifting up someone else. It's just certain situations are easier to deal with. There's all kinds of things that you don't understand, like all you can do, which is why I'm glad we started this whole series with talking about the self, because really that's the only thing we can change. We can hope, we can hope that as we change us, that maybe some people will follow along. But like you said, Alan, we can't rely on that. And I just think because of all of our backgrounds, we need to be explicit when we say that, that it, I don't think I said God fixed anything. Well, we, I'm, I'm saying God, circumstance, whatever. Like, I just, I just want us to be clear right. because I think it, it, there's a potential. Did I to... say that? No, I don't think so. No, no. Maybe I'm if, just projecting. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> if you go into this, if you go into looking at your family system thinking you're going to fix everything, you're already missing the mark. Like the whole point of the system that Bowen came up with was like, you're not doing that. Like the whole point of it is just to take responsibility for yourself. So the reason I stay, I work on bridging cutoffs, taking myself out of triangles, all of like the hard work of this kind of thing is just for me. I know I'm going to be a healthier employee. I'm going to be a healthier colleague if I can do some of this work in my own family. And it has translated across. So there are some basic concepts that actually help us look at our family more like a system. Agreed. And, and I'm glad that, that you explicitly ways. just said that because I think that's an important yeah. thing that needs it to be It is definitely an important split, thing. Said. Split said. So, something else to throw out there to add to this mix, and maybe some of you can all share your experiences. One of the concepts that I learned is uh, scapegoating or like the black sheep thing. And uh, we, did, we did the younger, older brother parable of Jesus in church this last Sunday. And, you know, the younger brother takes his inheritance and runs off. And he's a fool and spends it all lavishly and then comes back, right? Ashamed or whatever. And I couldn't help but read that and think about um, how families need a black sheep sometimes. Like that older brother probably needed him to act that way. Like we need to have a problem child so that we don't fix our own selves. So that we're not dealing with our own pain, right? You have a, a sibling that's that's uh, acting up or troubled. You don't have to reflect on yourself and and your pro your part of the the process in the family. So maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that at all. Are any of you black sheep in your family? I'm just curious. I, I think I am to a degree pretty, pretty early on. I just, I started to differentiate in ways that my cousins didn't and, and that my brother didn't, he differentiated in different ways. A, a big part of it was leaving the faith 
and having having that become the talking point like what's going on what do you believe now and and sort of creating kind of a a, a controversy over my salvation so that that has been interesting you know to to walk through those time periods and now you know it's been long enough life hasn't fallen apart people are really perplexed <laughs> and like how could you leave the faith and still be okay how could you leave the faith and your kids not be on drugs <laughs> and so you know re- returning and and having having relationships now people have kind of shrugged a lot of that off but for a time it was it was challenging and and not showing up for early on early in adulthood not showing up for every little thing um created some problems because that's the expectation is that you show up you feed into the hype um you get caught up in it and um nothing really changes you're just contributing to the to the circles of of emotion um so now you know it's it's interesting to to reconnect or connect with with family members now and I, and when i say family i mean like the whole bunch like cousins brother parents uncles aunts it's all kind of glommed together it, it's interesting there's some where it's just like yeah whatever and then there's others that still want to you know want to press like so what do you believe <laughs> even though i've told them like 20 times um but you know i i, I use as you pointed out alan i, I i'll use humor to to sort of sidestep it and um sometimes that works and other times people just they you know they they get frustrated and 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 back away there's probably a lot of listeners who can relate to you the fact that you thought through your faith makes you a black sheep yeah i think that probably happens pretty often not not just thought through it but actually talked to people about it and then acted (laughs) on it see because you can triangulate your faith too like ah the church is so stupid it does totally. thing, don't you think so? <laughs> and and then you've got this kind of group of rebels that are like, fuck the church. Totally. <laughs> but you still show up all the time. I had a, I had a friend who I worked with uh, who was an office manager at one of my churches. She said several for several years they were trying to start up churches of people who hated church. And it never really worked out because you're not like solving the anxiety like, oh, church is the worst. And everybody gets together. And then it would never really last because you're not like actually working on some of that stuff before. It's just interesting. I think um, it's important to remember as we talk about all of this, that it's such a process. And I think even in this, you know, if we think about this in terms of growth development, that sometimes there's like steps forward and then steps back, you know, like there's, there's movement in and out of these different roles, um, depending on what's going on in our lives, depending on what's going on in the lives of the people we're in relationship with. Um, I also think that if the nuclear family is not available to work out some of the emotional stuff, it's possible to heal using like surrogates, (laughs) other people, other relationships that can sort of help to take on those roles and to be so that one can be in relationship with others and work out some of the emotional stuff that we all have through inheritance and through the family that we don't choose. It's kind of ironic that coming from a, like an evangelical past where they talked about generational sin and like totally rejecting that, like generational sin is not a thing. Like that's, that is bunk. 
And then now being in more progressive circles where I'm looking at family systems and I'm like, oh my God, it kind of is a thing. <laughs> like these patterns repeat. Well, like, it is. It's just family. not because of demons. So no, it's not just... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes addiction's like a demon, you know, but and not they're... a literal demon. Like, right. You, you could cast it. Well, I mean, I that know. I know maybe we, we haven't had that conversation. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm not, I'm the only one that uh, feels that way. No. So I, I've got a question. Um, you know, so assumptions, I, I want to differentiate between assumptions and expectations. Assumptions are typically not any good. But expectations can can changing one's expectations be of benefit? Uh, not not so much like where you're just expecting to you know give up on people because they're jackasses, but um, yeah, can the altering of expectations be beneficial in in these processes? I think it's fundamental. Like that's I think that's part of the. I mean, we talk about self. That's part of the, the 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 way that we approach the world is having healthy expectations of the people that we're in relationship with, and you know, not running into an unhealthy cycle over and over again with just the simple expectation of well, maybe this time it'll be different because it's ignoring the reality of what's in front of us. I think uh, healthy expectations are important, and the irony of it, if you're in a situation where your family is not self-aware as possible. I mean, and we'll have a whole episode next time on our chosen community, but going back to what Bonnie said, like those are the times where we need voices in our life that can help us see those things because, you know, we're not an Island and self-awareness comes as we are aware of those around us. And we open ourselves up for feedback and letting people speak into us in that way. And uh, if our family is not that space, then we need, you know, other voices to help us, help us cultivate healthy expectations of our family. Um, and and uh, uh, understanding is the first step, right? Your family system, like gone are the days we can say that we are islands that are just individuals running around. Like we're all intimately interlocked and connected. And I think especially when you get married to someone and start having kids, you don't know some of the stuff that's been transmitted through the generations on either side. Like you're going to discover things. And so, Sitting down and learning is helpful in that process, but expecting to be free of, <laughs> of some of the stuff from the past is, a uh, is like pie in the sky thinking almost, you know, I mean, everybody, and, and that's, that's kind of the sad thing. I mean, everybody wants to have an amazing family and life is not fair. Like we're born into this stuff. It's not <laughs> real. It's not real. There is no, there is no like Brady Bunch family. Right. And that was really, that was like super eye opening for me when I took family systems when I was in college because there was, um, one kid in my class who was like, wow, I don't know what all you guys are talking about. Wow. Your lives are all pretty tragic. And by the end, like some major juicy drama came out of this guy's cause you know, when you do the three generations, you're doing like a family tree. Totally. And something that he didn't know came out of that whole thing. And that kid needed therapy for a while because he had spent his whole time, his whole life believing that he was like a part of the Brady Bunch. You know, and I, I come from a Brady Bunch family, to be honest. I have all my grandparents. They've all been married the whole time. Like I have my family, one Lodi family of the year in the 70s. <laughs> they have like six kids or whatever. And uh, I think sometimes when people say, oh, our family's amazing. 
and they just say stuff like that, it's actually covering for it's solving some of the issues that are actually there. It's avoiding some of the pain, some of the drama, because someone's bearing it, you know, that per the pressure and the anxiety is falling on someone in that family. Maybe in the Brady Bunch, one of the kids was hiding in his room crying half the time. I don't know. <laughs> like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> but can't, can't you recognize the warts and, and scabs and totally all the other things in your family and still think they're pretty amazing? Yes, I think so. I mean, if you, if you like human beings. I take exception <laughs> that we're showing our age by using the Brady Bunch as an example Ooh. of uh, a perfect family. So let's. Well, I wanted. I, I'm let's hoping we're going to start this episode with um with playing the Adams Family. I, so. I was thinking Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> but but you know I am um, to what you were saying, Raj. One of the things that I've learned um, as I've aged um, is uh, there has to come a point in your life where you you acknowledge you just love people where they are and you just sort of let it go i mean if you harbor resentment and frustration for anybody for a long period of time the only person that it poisons is yourself you know i can look back and and look at all the places in my life where my family has let me down or feel resentment for something that happened or didn't happen but at the end of the day what I've tried to do, at least with my family, is say either A, they were doing the best they could, or B, it happened and I just need to move past it um, because it doesn't do any, I can't fix it now. Warts and all, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, you ask, can't, can't you say you, you, my family is awesome, warts and all? I think that that's sort of the goal is to get to a place of saying you are who you are. Um, and I can't fix you, but as Jeff reminded us earlier, but I can fix myself and I choose to live in a healthier way in the world. I choose to raise my children differently. Um, yeah, that's so. a really well, well said Casey. Uh, they were doing the best they can with what they had, like and what they knew, what right? they knew. And at least even if that's not true, and in some cases it's not true, right? But at least like telling yourself that can free you from the power that other people have over you. Like at least using that as a mental trick to be like, these people were doing the best they could. It allows you to not just feel resentment and harbor that pain for over a long period of time. And it's cheesy, but when you look at people, like think about what they were like when they were four years old and something like I've been doing for years when I'm really in hard conflict and looking at someone, I just imagine what they were like when they were a kid. What were they going through? Not that it excuses every, what they're doing in any respect because we all have influences, but everybody at some point had parents who had problems, had brothers and sisters and friends and communities that affected them profoundly. I, I like that child thing too. Having, having been a classroom teacher, um, and, and what I like about that isn't so much con considering what, what they were going through, although that, that has relevance is, you know, at four years old, I, for whatever reason, choose six in, in my mental exercises. Like at six years old, there's still lots of possibility. Like, you know, you, you don't, you, you haven't given up on a six year old just yet. And, I mean, some of us haven't given up on six year six year old. Well, you know, <laughs> like there, there's just a ton My of limit is two, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you, guys, you guys suck. 
There's, you know, you 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 hold out. Hope. I remember, I remember uh, my godson saying, "I don't know things yet," and me being like, uh, "Oh yeah, you don't know things yet." I'm like, "You're four, but you should know everything, right?" Yeah, right. And you know, and with that four year old or the six year old or the two year old, we we have a sense of responsibility to be a decent grown up in their sphere. Um, and, and so we change how we see and understand our role in the relationship, not to demean people like a 30 year old who you're like, oh, they were six once. And, but, you know, like hold out on some hope. You know, we all have, we all have potential. Um, but at the same time, you know, going back to the expectation thing, have the expectations be that you'll keep showing up for them and what, they take from it and do with it will be a wondrous you know discovery um but but not that you have preconceived notions of what it should look like so what are our final thoughts takeaways from this conversation family systems family live dynamics. in the woods by yourself <laughs> sounds good <laughs> then you'll have no problems at all uh, actually, I just want to invite people. Like, I don't have anything else to say other than if you want to talk about your family with me, let's do it. If you're a listener and, and you want to have a longer conversation, I'm open to that. Me it too. Might, it might be fun. And that and that you um the story of your family doesn't have to be the story of your life. Totally. That you um you can't change your past, but you definitely have the power to transform your future. And so uh, what you do with that is up to you. And we're cheering you on. I, I think I would just add that some of the best information we can get about ourselves is through our relationships. By looking at our relationships and, and looking at the ways we're connected to other people um, gives us a ton of information about ourselves. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I love my family, I, my my nuclear family now that I that I sh- share a home with. My my family of, of origin and all those uncles and aunts love them. They're imperfect. Sometimes they're assholes, but I I love them. And it, it feels good to be able to say that after having some some real struggles around it. That you love them or they're assholes? Oh, that, that, that's easy to say. <laughs> no, that, that that I that I love them. I mean, you know, we we all have shortcomings, but but ultimately they're 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 family. And I and I'm grateful that none of them are so harmful that I need to cut ties. Totally. I'm grateful for that too. I feel like I have to clarify because I did mention my family. I love them as well. I mean, they're amazing. Sometimes some of the Irish stuff comes out, you know, Irish, like they, we love our families so much too. You could get tattoos on your back of your family name, stuff like that. It means, it means a lot. Yeah. Does it mean more when you visit the homeland? Oh, it does. Oh, my Ireland? God. I'm going to be going to Ireland. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm going to fuse with my past and finally discover myself at the grave of Brian Boru. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're, you're like, you're, you're getting, getting to something, Alan, by talking about that because our family and our identity are so wrapped up in, in one another. And so, um, the stories we tell about ourselves are, so connected to our families so just just to put that in there too Uh, alan i love that you're going back to the homeland i think that's so cool i'm trying to milk the clergy thing 
I'm like, I'm some clergy going through the holiest land on earth. Will you give me a free room? Father O'Brien. Fa- Father O'Brien. Actually, I'm also visiting a Fahey farm. Half of my family, or a quarter of me, my mom's mom, was a uh, Fahey from O'Fahey. And there's still a family farm um, that I'm going to go visit. So I'm pretty stoked about that. But I'm going to try to use the pastor thing to get free stuff. Is that bad? No, it's the least it nope. can do for you. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, of course. They put my great-great-grandfather on the dock and shipped him to America because they couldn't take care of their orphans. The least they could do is something for me, right? Wow. No? Am I entitled? No. No, no. Yeah. You're your cousin, man. They, they got to give you – they got to at least give totally. you some food. A pint of Guinness. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let us know what you think. It's it's fitting that uh, the episode that we talk about family ends up being the episode that I'm probably going to have to bleep the most cuss words out. Um, and just <laughs> just for our listeners' sake, I, I don't do that because that. we're we're. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't do that because we're a you know a podcast full of you know. We, you don't do we, it for we don't reasons. say those things. We do it so that we can have a podcast in certain countries that will. It won't allow our show in the iTunes store uh, if we have a certain amount of language in it. So we do it just f- to bring our message, uh, including your homeland, Raj, India. They they'll they'll cut us out with uh, a certain amount of language. So that's <laughs> oh man. Thank you all for making my job so much easier. But anyway, let us know what you think. Uh, you can add your voice to this particular conversation and comment in the show notes at irenicast.com slash 141. Also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links to some of the books and everything that we mentioned and a complete list of all the other ways you can like, follow, and contact the show and us individually. That's irenicast.com slash 141. Uh, on the other side of the music, we are going to be playing a game called Title Me This. So title me this, if you haven't heard this segment before, uh, basically what it is, is that each of us have, and we do themed editions. So this is title me this Christian children's books edition. So we've all found a Christian child kids book, and we have, uh, we are going to say the synopsis of this book, and it is the job of all the other hosts to guess the title. And then the person who presents gets to choose the winner, whether we get it right or whether we just come up with a clever, witty, or disgusting title, however we want to do it. And uh, we appeal to the the general tastes of our host who presents. So this is the opposite of our segment, Judging a Book by Its Cover, where we give a title and then you have to give the segment. So does that make sense? Did I explain that well? Yes. Okay. Perfectly. Perfect. That's right. Crystal. Perfect. All Not right. Mess. So Clear. Casey. Clear. Let's let's start with you. Give us the synopsis of the book that you've chosen and let us title it. You've heard a thousand stories of what the good king is like. Now discover his great love for your child. Grammy award-winning music artist Chris Tomlin and Pat Barrett team up to tell the story of a little bear named Tucker whose life and townspeople are forever changed when they learn just how great the king's love is for them. When Tucker's friends need help, he goes to see the king who lives in a castle where the door is always open. Okay, I'm going, I'm going to hell for this one. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm ready to send to, you there. To, 
Tucker the pedophile conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, All I, was, right. I was shivering a little bit with that description. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to go with uh, Tuck actually everlasting. No. Wow. <laughs> like Tuck everlasting? <laughs> you yeah. just said no. <laughs> you know how like Christians take something in culture and then- Oh, wait, am I supposed to it? pick one? I supposed hey, to what pick the hell? Not yet. Can't not judge yet. yet. We, we not yet. Go. You got to wait. You got to hear him first. <laughs> you know, oh, I said you it. Know the sorry, movie, I said that out loud. The no. movie Tuck everlasting. And so they're saying he's actually we, like, we, gonna we live got forever because we got it. I, I think the reference was gotten by all of us. Yes. <laughs> the groan was the fact that we all got. It. <laughs> Bonnie, what do you got? I don't know. This is a hard one. I'm just gonna go with um, adventures with Tucker. <laughs> I I got a second one after Jeff goes. I was just gonna say Nip and Tucker. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Nip and Tucker. <laughs> Jeff always goes last. I've I noticed that. Yeah. that. That's like the strategy Str- of strategy. It is. So what do you pick, Casey? <laughs> Nip and Tucker, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know what the name of this book is? Not really. Bare Necessities. <laughs> <laughs> About a king, where's his father at? It was about a bear. Didn't you put the bear in there? The father's the king, bear king king father. father. It's a bear and the king. It it looks like Asland, you know. Or what? What is the name? That was a lion. Lion? Is a lion bear? Is it a bear? Yeah, it's a lion. It's a lion looking down at a little bear. Where did the lion come from? I think for this, I'm very confused already on the plot of the king of the jungle, the king, and yeah, I don't know. I think for this episode on family systems, I wanted to end with Casey singing that song. You're a good, good father. Just triggering everybody. <laughs> I'll turn it off right away. <laughs> Look, we will never have to have a confession about our families because they'll hear me sing good, good father and they'll turn it off. Oh, my goodness. All right. Alan, treat us to your. Uh... All right. To, to, to the gem that I found. Okay. The new girl upsets class smack in the middle of winter. With her comes troubling change. Shu McKinnon, a boy named Shu, uh, discovers evidence that a double drowning at the sawmill may have been murder. This is for like a little older kids, by the way. <laughs> Mary Ann's father is a, or Mary Ann's faith. Sorry, I have father, a good father in my head. Oh my gosh. I should probably restart. The new girl, Marianne, her faith is a mystery to Shu, as he suspects the outsider, is intertwined in the investigation. What is she doing here? Was it an accident or murder? Will life ever be the the same? A secret kept by Stony Creek's most powerful. An unlikely friendship forged. Two lives changed forever. A refreshing adventure of hope. I want to go first. The adventure... Of a faithfully stoned lesbian. <laughs> I'm sure that's it. <laughs> it can't be any worse than Nip Tucker. Close. That's, that's true. true. That's true. Do you want me I mean, to go next is... since it's apparently yeah. people think it might be yes. unfair that I... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, when in doubt, the uppity woman did it. 
<laughs> oh, oh no! I'm not the only one going to hell. <laughs> and so, it, 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 so Alan, there was a double drowning. Yes, at, at, and a new at, girl, and, and a boy and a named Shoe trying to figure it all out. Shoe guy, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and her faith is part of the equation. Her faith, okay. Wait, so, so are the, Shoe and the girl teaming up to solve the murder? No, Shoe no, was trying to enemies, figure it out. Right? Okay, so my my title is "You Should Have Learned to Walk on Water." Ooh. <laughs> way to <laughs> wow, way to blame the, the victim. victim. I was going to say he's got Jeez. the victim blaming. Everything. I have another one too. That's I perfect. One. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm in church I, right I now. I saw the looks like. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's okay. Well, that was perfect. <laughs> These are Christian books after all. <laughs> Be like Jesus. Drown the outsider. <laughs> Sorry. When baptism didn't work for the second time. Oh my oh, god. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> oh, Bonnie, have you gone yet? No. Um forgiveness is possible even for murderers. Wow. Oh, Thank like you for cleansing the palate. Christian. I think we need to nice. probably end on not that. Triggering at all. <laughs> yeah. If I'm only do I go off second guesses or just the first ones? Just the first ones. Okay. If I was going off second guesses, I would give it to Casey because that's really funny. Now I'm imagining her father being a pastor who accidentally killed two people <laughs> while trying to baptize them. Well, I'll, I'll go with accidentally I'll go with in air quotes. Right. Hey, the Poison Wood Bible is a real book by Barbara Kingsolver, and it's really that's good. a good book. That's totally a super good book. Yeah. really recommend. You, you're that going. One. You're going with mine. I'm gonna go with Raj. It's kind of funny oh, come because on. his name is Shu. <laughs> and it's you should have learned to walk. Uh, yeah, hit nice. the the name of the book in case you'd like to read it to your children is Mystery at the Hot Pond. <laughs> <laughs> that's worse than anything any of us that came up with. Worse. Yeah, <laughs> mystery. I thought that's hot better pie. than anything we came up with. Oh my god, that sounds like one of those dirty romance novels. Yeah. <laughs> that's like har- Harlequin status over here. Oh my Somebody goodness. listening is going to use that and write a nice romance, oh, steamy romance novel. Skinny dipping in the hot pond. I want to buy that book just to put I'm... on my kid's shelf and see what people think when they see that title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I goodness. think I'm actually going to read it now. <laughs> After all this. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, goodness. All right. Bonnie, how about you? Okay. I hope you're ready for this one. Once upon a time, there lived a man and a woman. They were the happiest people on the planet. True, they were the only people on the planet, but they were still ter- terrifically happy. Unfortunately, things didn't stay happy and wonderful for long. The Bible is full of exciting stories that fill children with awe and wonder, but kids need to know how all those classic stories connect to Scripture's overarching message about God's glorious plan to redeem His rebellious people. This story leads kids and parents alike on an exciting journey through the Bible, connecting the dots from the Garden of Eden to Christ's death on the cross to the new heaven and new earth. If you touch the serpent, you'll go blind. (laughs) Eat the apple anyway. I'm going to go with a different direction. I think Jeff already won, but I'll go with a different direction. Uh, I'm going to say 
the thousand year winter. Mm. Like these are the, cause it's saying the story all the way through Christ's return and the new heaven and stuff. Sounds like maybe, games of Thrones. Maybe it's, maybe they're the last two people cause the rapture's already happened and there's a nuclear winter from everybody fighting the last war. Because kids need real stories. They're going to tell so them. That was so triggering just hearing you talk <laughs> really? about that. I know. It was triggering to read it. I almost, oh, I almost changed the word terrifically happy to terrifyingly happy. <laughs> Accidentally. Terrifyingly happy. What do you think, Raj? Gosh. I, I was actually going with the serpent thing, too. I was going to say, um, what happens when you bow down to the serpent king? Hmm. But Jeff's serpent one was yeah. just so much better. <laughs> Jeff's was the best. Jeff, you win. Um, but the title of the real book is The Biggest Story. And oh it's for God. ages five to eight. Can we just like do a little moment of silence for all the little kids who have to sit through stories of the whole world drowning and stuff like that? Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. That's so true. So true. All right, Raj. Follow a silly series of misadventures as Scaredy Cat faces his worst fears. An appalling abundance of gulp, yellow and pink sprinkles on his donut. An elephant on on the verge of a ginormous sneeze. Oh, my God. And the terrifyingly loud chime of a clock. Is that it? <laughs> Why does this sound like my adolescence? That's it. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're right, Casey. Someone was in therapy. This is all they remember. <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, you don't need to be scared of your ABCs or God. <laughs> like D for donut, C as for long, As long as you behave. <laughs> as long as you get it right and know the equation to get to heaven. That's my that's my guess. I'm stuck on Rainbow Donuts. Is that your guess? <laughs> that the <Sure>. title? <laughs> I'm stuck on Rainbow Donuts. <laughs> <It's not> just... <laughs> the way Raj read that was pretty epic. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm filtering through a lot in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't say what you first think, right? No, at least I can. Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Bonnie. Hey, this is a safe place, Bonnie. Go ahead. There's nobody else listening, <laughs> just us. <laughs> and a thousand other people. No, I have to represent myself. That's the problem. <laughs> She's got this image to protect. Um, I'm going to say... Man, I'm... It's so bad, isn't it? It, it really is. It's re- it really is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep it PG. I don't know. Um, in heaven... It's always time to make the donuts, so don't go to hell. That's all I can <laughs> <you> do. <laughs> okay. Well, Angel but, food donuts. But before, before I pick the winner, I'm going to go ahead and read the title. I'm not a scaredy cat, a prayer for when you wish you were brave. So, Coming out <laughs> eating rainbow donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to. Casey, Casey's got it. I, I'm stuck on sprinkled donuts. Come out of the closet. Funny. There's donuts in here. <laughs> <laughs> There's donuts out here. <laughs> Last. Oh wait, did you pick a winner? Yeah, Casey. I won. Oh, I Casey. won. Yay! Very nice. I rarely win these things. So, all right. Here is. I I, I wish I would have found some good ones like you all did. All right, here we go. 
Beth and Patrick near Washington, D.C. on a train with Abraham Lincoln, who was headed to his first inauguration. But a band of assassins plan to meet Lincoln in Baltimore and end his presidency before it starts. Can the cousins help get him through the city safely and on to his big history-making day? I'm going to say PB and Jesus. (laughs) PB and J. Beth PB and J. PB and J. They're going to save the world. Wait, 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 hold on. Are they trying to save Lincoln? I'm confused here. Doesn't he die? Well, not his his inauguration. inauguration. Oh, okay. God saves America. Just say no to slavery. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Everything I can think of is like the day the, the... the day the Southern Christians resent, or something like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 zing. Wow. I'll leave it there. I'm done. Mm. I don't know. Too soon? Too soon? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, a story from the Adventures of Odyssey series. Ooh. Yes. Uh, so is. apparently of these cousins are time travelers, and uh, it is called Terror in the Tunnel. Is what it's called. <laughs> okay. The Harbor Tunnel, Balt- Baltimore Harbor Tunnel. I guess. Is that what it is? So who, who's your pick, Jeff? Adventures with PB&J. No. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't remember any of the titles. Then <laughs> 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 just pick your favorite. So I'm just going to. Uh, just, say, just say no to slavery <laughs> was one of them. Oh, that's Do you just, need to repeat it? it? I'm just going to go. The Southern Christians. I'm going to go with Bonnie because it, it wasn't hinting at racism or. <laughs> it was hinting oh, at nationalism, but that's okay. Yes. God saves America. Wasn't that it? Yeah. And Lincoln is a Republican. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Assuming many of you are still with us, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, Alan, how can people have, how can people find what you have going on on the interwebs? Feel free to look me up on Facebook at Rev Allen O'Brien. Send me a friend request or a message, and I'd love to connect with you. You can find me at the Queerly Faithful Pastor um, at my blog, QueerlyFaithfulPastor.com, Twitter, Queerly Faithful Pastor, or uh, Casey Tinnan on Facebook. And I'm at Bonnie Lang Rabob on Facebook and also at Parkside Community Church in Sacramento. And I'm at Facebook.com slash Rev Raj Rambob or Twitter at Rev Raj Rambob. And you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Minildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of some months to my other podcast, Divine Cinema at DivineCinema.net. As for Iranicast, don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. And while you're there, if the platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. You can also fill out our listener survey at irenacast.com slash survey. The information you give us is super helpful in helping us move forward and continue to evolve the show. That's irenacast.com slash survey. So for this week, I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Raj. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.